This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to look at Psalm 93. This is a psalm that is not part of our daily liturgy, but is part of our Shabbat liturgy. So it's traditionally the last psalm of Kabbalat Shabbat on Friday evenings and is part of the Shabbat morning liturgy as well. The Lord is king. God is robed in grandeur. The Lord is robed. God is girded with strength. The world stands firm. It cannot be shaken. Your throne stands firm from of old. From eternity you have existed. The ocean sounds, O Lord. The ocean sounds its thunder. The ocean sounds its pounding. Above the thunder of the mighty waters, more majestic than the breakers of the sea, is the Lord majestic on high. Your decrees are indeed enduring. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, for all times. So this is said on Shabbat. It is. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, a lot of the Psalms of Kabbalat Shabbat make reference to God's greatness, particularly through nature, actually. Read a lot of Kabbalat Shabbat is really psalms of praise. In religious school tefillah, I always ask the students, we categorize our tefillot as either please, thank you, sorry, or wow, right? Most tefillot (laughs) fit into one of those categories or sometimes a few of them at the same time. And most of Kabbalat Shabbat, including this psalm, really seem like wows. There's a a lot of praise and awe. So this certainly fits with that thematically. And I think there's an echo back to creation here as well, right? There's a lot of, a lot of permanence. The world is firm and God goes back to the beginning of eternity and God's decrees. The Torah, the mitzvot are also this permanent, lasting kind of language. And I think the interplay of that with water is really interesting. Yeah, I was thinking of this in the context of where do mighty waters appear elsewhere in the Torah? I mean, like these huge oceanic powers or thinking of water as this vast expanse. It's actually a lot of places, right? There's creation. There's the water day. Yeah. There's the flood. The book of Jonah. The parting of the Red Sea. It's a very prominent natural theme in the Torah. Yeah. And I think all of those, maybe with the exception of Jonah, are really stories about, though Jonah may be in its own way too, are really stories about containing water, right? Like Mm. water is seen as this like tremendously powerful force, right? That fills whatever space you give it. 
on the second day of creation, right, the water is like everywhere and God separates sort of the waters above the heavens and the waters below. And then even the third day when land is created, that's again about holding back water, right, Mm. to create space for the land to be there. And so, so to place God as sort of more powerful than this vast power of the water is kind of a striking image given that, like, in some ways, I think water is the most powerful thing that we as humans can imagine. Right. So it says, like, even more majestic than this, above the waters is God and the majesty of that. So the water, it's just this huge force that people would have been very familiar with in that time. Yeah. The land of Israel is by the ocean. There's a lot of trade with the ocean, so it's this powerful metaphor. The reason I thought that it would be good for our podcast also is we talk about climate change, we talk about global warming, but I think what's really at stake is the water cycle, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the droughts, which is the absence of water when we need it, the floods, which is way too much water in the wrong place, sea level rise, which is this idea of the sea slowly drowning out cities that are on the coast. But also, if you look a little deeper, the ocean is something that's currently saving us from even more destruction because the carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere, much of it, is being absorbed in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So the ocean is actually acting like as a moderator at this point. But then also a lot of people's livelihoods depend on the sea and how are the ecosystems within the ocean being changed. So like there's a lot to think about when it comes to water and the ocean and it's like right here. Yeah, yeah, it, it all comes back to the mighty waters. And I think in some ways we have so taken that for granted. Mm-hmm. And now as we see those changes, it's like a powerful wake-up call of actually how much we don't control water. If you're operating in a context where like the way that you get around on water is like with a sail, right? And right. you're at the mercy of the wind in a much smaller boat, I think you feel this in a different way. Like now when we have massive ships that you know, it seems like can withstand anything. And water that's piped into our homes, it's easy to sort of feel like we we control the water. And I think that this psalm and also the realities of climate change are a really powerful reminder that actually we do not. Right. We are dependent on and somewhat controlled by the water. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think also, right, I mean, we've talked in quite a few of the podcasts about our natural tendency to sort of like see ourselves, see humanity as sort of central Mm -hmm. um, and like the important part of the story. And I think that this is like a reminder of things that were here a long time before we were. Right. You know, humanity is totally absent, totally absent from this psalm. My daughter is just learning a little bit about geography and the earth, like in a very basic way. So she came home from school recently and said, we live in Seattle and also in America and also on the earth. And they were like looking at maps and pictures of what the earth looks like. And she saw a sticker or something that had like a picture of the globe on it. 
And she pointed at it and she said, where do we live? Do we live in the green part or the blue part? And the sticker was far too small to be able to find Seattle, right? It was sort of like, okay, well, like there's kind of North America. That's as specific as we're going to be able to get. But I said, no, we live on the green part, right? Actually, all of that blue is water. And I think it's easy to forget that. But it's such an important part of our reality, even if it's not always sort of right in front of our faces, because we pay attention to where we are. But this psalm, it's like all in the waters. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This is a psalm of the blue part. (laughs) The blue part. Yeah. Yeah. Which in itself is so important. And I think you're right. We live on the green part. That's what we think about. But we need to also be thinking about the blue part because there's no green. I mean, that would be brown. Yeah, the blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an important reminder not to not to bracket those things. That like there's just a tremendous amount of interdependence, right? Both the, the things that we do on the green part affect the blue part, um, right. and the health of the blue part affects our ability to survive on the green part. Right. And I think, you know, what you said was really interesting. There's no humanity in this psalm. And I don't think there are any animals either. Yeah. And what's striking to me is, like, there's a few places where, as you said, it talks about the enduring nature or the eternal nature or, like, the old, very old nature. And the truth is, like, we... We often use phrases like save the planet, you know, but humans could disappear. Mm -hmm. Animals could go extinct and the planet will stay the planet. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it it would change because living things affect oceans and mountains, etc. But like the the raging oceans and the wind like still stays there. Yeah. Usually we try to, like, have a comforting message in the podcast. And maybe it is comforting to some people, but it's at least interesting that that idea is within our tradition, Mm -hmm. right? The world without us somehow. Yeah. Well, and I think part of why that's there, right, the first five days of creation were also that. Mm. The Torah really explicitly imagines a world without people. You know, we join the picture pretty quickly. But I think that that then makes it not crazy to have a psalm like this that totally ignores people and animals because the Torah really explicitly imagines a world without living things in it. Yeah, and that goes back to a few episodes again where we were talking about this idea of all different parts of the world praising God and all different parts of the world having their own independent relationship with God which isn't filtered through humans. Yeah. And so this is like another one. Yeah. But like something that we don't always conceptualize as living and not able to have a relationship. And it's just like God in the ocean. Yeah. It's very striking. But maybe we can end by saying we hope that this will never be the complete vision of Earth. I mean. <laughs> and that animals and humans remain. I mean, I mean. And even so, right, I think, like, nonetheless, an important sort of, like, snapshot for us to to think about and imagine and appreciate the role of the waters 
then at the very least, were here long before we were. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.